Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. You are not the boss of me. That's what we've been looking at over the last five weeks. I've had so much feedback from you guys. I think this series has really resonated. If you've missed any of the, of the weeks, go on our YouTube channel. You can watch it or go on our website. You can get the podcast. But we've been looking at this kind of, this next one, this idea, how to say no to the emotions that compete for control. And the idea we've been developing is that there's emotions inside of us and emotions aren't a bad thing. But when we let them dock, when we let them, when we harbour some negative emotions or we let or we harbour or we let dock unhealthy emotions, they have a habit of being the boss of us and they drive us and what's in us comes out of us. And Jesus says they defile us and defile is a religious word that literally means it puts you at odds with yourself and God and it defiles us because when our emotions drive us in an unhealthy way and it puts us at odds with other people, that puts us at odds with God. And if we don't get to grip with our emotions, they control our mood and our mouth. How do you know that's true? They control our mood and our mouth. And so we've looked at four emotions. We've looked at guilt, we've looked at envy, we've looked at anger, and we've looked at fear. But I wanna look at two things this morning, which one of them isn't necessarily an emotion, but, but it's definitely on the inside of us. And these two things, they're like two little dogs, little terriers that keep going away at us. And they're these two, they are hurry and worry. They're like two little dogs that are on the inside of us and they slap, 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 slap. And it's hurry and worry. And I wanna link them together because I do think that there's a link in these two things. And so we're going to look firstly at hurry. We're going to look at hurry. And um, there's something going around in uh, understanding right now called hurry sickness. It's almost like we as a people in the Western world, we're almost plagued with this hurry sickness. It's defined as this, a behaviour pattern characterised by continual rushing and anxiousness and overwhelming and continual states of urgency. And I heard about this book that was written at the back end of last year, and it's a book by a guy called John Mark Comer. It's a brilliant book. I would recommend you read it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I read it, and I realised I'd skim read it because I've got a big issue when it comes to hurry. And I realised I had because I read a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I skim read it, and I thought, Leon, what an idiot. Do you know what I mean? You're reading a book about the ruthless elimination of hurry and you're so in a hurry that you just read through it. And I want to read it again, read it a little slower so I can take it in. And I don't know about you, but whether you suffer from hurry sickness or not, let, let, let me give you a few prompters whether you do. Do you move from one checkout line to the other just to see which one's going to be quicker? Anyone do that? No one wants to admit it. Count the items in the basket in front of you. Yeah, that's really annoying. Do you count cars in each lane in the traffic jam? Do you multitask to the point that you've forgotten what the original task was that you were doing? You know, if any of these things, okay, and they're, they're light things, but there's something that's gripped us in our Western culture, and it's called hurry sickness. And it's like a boss. It's like a boss, because it's not necessarily an emotion, but it creates emotion inside of us. And we need to say to hurry, hurry, you are not the boss of me. Corrie Ten Boom's famous, um, she was famous from, in the Second World War. Many of you know the story. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Carl Jung, famous psychologist, said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. 
And a Japanese theologian, he said this, which is an amazing quote that we're going to put up any minute on the screen. Great. God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It is an inner speed. It is a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. It's an incredible quote, isn't it? And I'm saying this to you as, as if there's like line up for those of you that have got a problem with this, I am at the front of the queue, okay? My wife knows it, many of you know it, I know it. So I know this is a massive challenge to me. But you know, you cannot love anyone at a fast speed. You can't love your husband or your wife or your kids or your friends or, or your God if you're always in a speed of hurry. We have to slow down. We have to slow down. And um, I think for me, one of the challenges is, in, is this, that, that the three emotions that God most wants inside of us are love, joy, and peace, aren't they? They're those emotions that God wants to be the boss of us. You know, you talk about the fruit of the Spirit. But the reason that we can't often generate that kind of love, joy, or peace is because we're moving so fast and we're thinking so fast and we're maybe hurrying so fast. And John Ortberg, who writes a lot about this, he said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we'll renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And if you were here on Tuesday night, um, an encounter at the end, I encouraged uh, people to share things and many people came on the stage and it was very moving to me, knowing some of their stories, how people shared different things that God was saying. And, and a guy came up, and an older guy, John, and, and, he, and he shared about how there's a verse in the book of Job, which is a book in the Old Testament, um, where it talked about that they lived at the surface and, and, and God called them to go deeper. And I do think that for many of us in our culture, even our faith, those of you that say that you're Jesus followers, our faith has become almost like a surface faith where we're just so hurried and we're so rushed that we just skim, 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 skim. But like me, reading a book on the elimination of hurry, but skim reading it. And God wants to call us to find ways of going deeper in our relationship with Him and deeper in our relationship with one another. John Mark Comer in his book, he talks about um, different signs. So we're going to go to, yeah, that's it. So he talks about irritability and he talks about that being a sign of hurry sickness. He talks about hypersensitivity. I know when I feel more hurried, I'm more sensitive. I don't know whether, it, you know, I'm more easily offended. Restlessness, you just can't sit still. Anyone identify with this or it's just, you've all got this sorted, haven't you? It's just me, isn't it? You're listening to me talk to me this morning, all right? You've all got it obviously sorted out. Workaholism, where you just can't stop working. The next one, emotional numbness. You, you know, I heard a great definition recently of, of you know, when, when you know that you're, sometimes when you get to the stage of burnout, you know it, you've kind of gone over a cliff. But, but before that, you're almost like a pre-burnout. Maybe it's like where, you, where, where, where you're doing stuff, but you're not, you're not experiencing any joy. It's like an emotional numbness. That can be a precursor to fully blown burnout. And, and that can, and often can be a symptom of hurry sickness. We're so quick doing stuff that actually we're emotionally numb, out of order priorities, lack of care for your body. 
escapist behaviors, these kind of things come when we're so hurried because it's become the boss of us so we want to look for other behaviors. Slippage of spiritual disciplines and then the last one, isolation. And, and these, these are stark signs but these are signs that maybe hurry has become the boss of you. And John Ortberg goes on to say this, hurry is not a disordered schedule, hurry is a disordered heart. And I think that's really, really important. So how do we deal with our hurry sickness so it doesn't become the boss of us? I think what Jesus would say to us, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is still real for you. I think he would say, slow down and simplify. So easy to say it, so hard to do it, isn't it? Slow down and simplify. And here's the verses that we've been looking at over the last year, I think, together. We've looked at these many, many times from Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I don't think he just means that like a one-off, like we've used that like at the end in the response time. You know, I don't think he means that. I think, I think he's saying, come and, and, and learn from me what a life looks like that slowed down and simplified where hurry is not the boss of you. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you. So in other words, I'm not just gonna say it once, let me teach you, let's do this thing together because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, can I just say a few things? Jesus was busy often, but never hurried. Jesus was in demand often by many, many, many people, crowds, Many, many people never hurried. Jesus was put upon by other people and their priorities and their schedules. He was put upon by other people often, but he was never, ever hurried. So the answer isn't not to be busy. The answer is not to say, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to do anything because I'm going to slow down and simplify. The answer isn't to do that because that's not what Jesus did. But in the midst of his busyness, in the midst of the demands, in the midst of the pressures of life, Jesus was never hurried. How do we slow down and simplify? I think one of the real issues at the heart of hurry sickness, and it's going to link into worry in a minute, is this issue, and it's this word, it's trust. Because I know for me, it's like, do I really trust that God's got it covered? Or am I so hurried because actually I think, do you know what, I don't quite trust you, so I need to do it all myself. And it kicks into the second issue that we're going to look at, and I'm going to link them together, which is worry. And um, Jesus often says, do not worry, which is as helpful uh, as when he often says, do not be afraid, that we looked at last week. Because Jesus often says, do not worry, and we're like, yeah, but I am worried. Like, do not be afraid, yeah, but I am afraid. And he says that because he's trying to take us on a journey of teaching and of learning. And I read this, do not worry about avoiding temptation as you grow older, it will avoid you. I'm not quite sure I believe that because I think temptation's always there. But this issue of worry, it is, and worry is on a continuum, isn't it? You've got like worry and you've got mild anxiety and you've got anxiety and you've got maybe burnout and you've got stress or you've got depression and you've got this whole continuum but it starts with this issue of worry. And I wonder for how many of us that worry has and is the boss of us. It's become the boss of us. And the biblical word worry uh, in the original literally means to divide the mind. We're like split between two things. The old English word for worry literally means to strangle the life out of. And that's a good description, isn't it? Of worry. Because when, when worry becomes the boss of us, it strangles the life out of us. 
So we're going to look at a very well-known, well, maybe I say well-known, it's well-known to some, maybe not to others. But this is an interesting little um, uh, kind of teaching that Jesus does. It's part of the massive teaching that he does on a mountainside that we call the Sermon on the Mount. But he says this in Matthew chapter 6, and why do you worry about clothes? And this is a very practical thing. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, bearing in mind, in their day, they're not asking, how will I get a new iPhone? All right? They're not asking about all that stuff. Those three things are the three big things of their day that they thought about. So in our context, Jesus literally says, listen, didn't worry about all of the practical, ordinary things that make up your life. For the pagans, those that don't know God, run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. A little bit of context. When Jesus says in this bit about the flowers of the field are thrown into the fire, in, in Israel, there were some scarlet poppies that grew up very quickly. Um, they were beautiful, but they grew up very quickly. They only lasted about a day and they would be picked out and they would be thrown into the fire. So Jesus said, those flowers that are only a day old flowers, he cares for them, he made them, he fashioned them, he knows them. So why would he not care for you who are the centerpiece of his creation? And I think that's so powerful. It's like what we talked about last week because the core issue here is trust. This is the core issue in worry, it's trust. You don't trust God when God shows by even the way he cares and the way he knows those little flowers that are only there for a day and you're the centerpiece of creation, why would he not provide for you also? So why do you worry? Why do you let worry be the boss of you when you say that Jesus is the boss of you? And from the message translation, it puts it like this. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Some of those guys, if you're a follower of Jesus today, there's a real challenge. You know, and I know that, hey, we're human like everyone else. We have to pay bills like everyone else. We, we get angry like everyone else. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, those who don't know God, they let worry become the boss of them. But you who say that you do, come on. And then he says this, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing it. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. So what do we do with the worry that comes our way? I think I've told this story, I'm sure, before, but I, I, when I was looking at worries many years ago, I um, found this great little story about a guy who hired someone to worry for him. He says, I want you to do all my worrying and I'm going to pay you £200,000 a year. The man said, where are you going to get that money from? He said, that's your worry. Okay, and just this idea that how do we deal with our worry? It's not as simple as that, is it? It's just not a simple thing. So when Jesus says, do not worry, we say, oh, okay, I won't. You know, because worry isn't about abdicating responsibility. I know lots of people who don't worry, but they don't get any responsibility. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying don't take responsibility. It's not like a kind of a Bob Marley thing. Hey, no worry, just be happy. You know, it's not like Hakuna Matata. He's saying, no, you've got, still got to take responsibility. But how do we learn to, let, to not let worry or hurry become the boss of us. And I want to give you three ideas as we land this series together. Firstly, declare. Declare at the start of every day your trust in God. 
Now, I know that not all of you are morning people, and I know some of you got little kids, and so it's really hard at the start of the day. I get that. It was really hard for us when our kids were little at the start of the day, and that's not our season, so I get that. But somehow, early as you can, take a few moments to declare as soon, as early as you can at the start of the day, whatever that is for you, whether it's right in the morning or get up a little bit earlier than the little one if you can, or, or, or on the commute into work or somewhere in the bathroom, wherever, somewhere, take a few minutes to declare at the start of the day your trust in your heavenly Father. And I wanna say that sounds so simple, but it is so difficult to do, but it is so worth it when you do it. For me, um, I have a chair in our, in our living room, and that's my chair. It's the chair that Alison sits in normally when we're watching the television. It's her chair. I don't sit in that chair because I value my life, okay? But in the morning, when she's not around, she's at work. Uh, she's at work much earlier than I am. That's my chair. That's my prayer chair. I sit in that chair for a few moments, okay? For a few minutes, I read some Bible. I pray. I journal a little bit. I try, not every day, but I try to do a thing where I set my alarm for five minutes uh, and I'm increasing that and I just sit there with no music and nothing and just be still and be quiet, which is really hard for me to do because I have a lot of hurry going on, but it's really helpful. And in those moments, I know that I am different through that day than when I don't do it because I'm declaring at the start of the day, Jesus, I'm going to trust you today. I don't know what's happening today. I know some of the things that will happen, but I don't know everything. But I want to trust you. My life is in your hands. I want to declare at the start of the day my trust in you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, maybe you could say, hey, maybe I could do with doing a little bit of that as well. Just being still and slowing down and simplifying. If you don't know what to do and read the book, version is an amazing resource. It's on 400 million devices now, I think, around the world. It's given, it's given away free from a church in America. They're so generous. It's incredible. And, and, and again, you just go on version. It gives you little devotionals. You can go deep into stuff or you can go you know, small little bits. But again, just a few minutes in the Word of God, in the Bible, a few thoughts, pray, declare your trust in God today. I think that's a great antidote to hurry and worry. Before you get going, because once we get going, then it's really difficult. But here's the thing. When you declare your trust in God at the start of the day, I'm finding that I've got to keep doing that throughout the day. Because there will be moments throughout the day when hurry and worry come snapping at my heels. Anyone know that? And in those moments when hurry, and I feel that hurry has become the boss of me, or when I feel that worry has become the boss of me, I then have to say, hey, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. And we need to find a way to declare our trust in God at the start and throughout the day. Second idea is this, decide, decide that you're gonna run after today what God is interested in today. What you're not gonna do is you're not gonna focus too much about tomorrow, you're gonna fully be present in today. That's one of the great antidotes to hurry and to worry. The Bible says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, go after what God's after today and let tomorrow look after itself. That's one of the ways we speak into hurry and worry. You see, hurry and worry force us to think about tomorrow, don't they? Like, what if? What if this doesn't happen? What if I can't do that? What if they say this? What if they say that? Whereas if we decide that today we're going to go after what God wants today, then we fully live in the reality of today. For me, and I'm so bad at this, okay? So, and I know I, know I walk past some of you, and I know you're like, you're so, and I know that. I'm better than I used to be, all right? 
because I'm so focused and so all about that, I have to force myself to slow down. And I'm saying, and I'm doing this as a habit now, as a discipline, that whenever I'm in a shop, I never just pay for the things, I talk to the person. Entering some really interesting conversations with people um, about all kinds of stuff. But I do that because I'm slowing myself down and I want to be present and I don't want to miss what God might want to do. And I want to encourage you to, to try whatever it is for you, but to decide to run after what God wants you to do. The emotional bosses, they always nudge us towards self, whereas Jesus always nudges us towards others. And I think a great antidote to hurry and worry is to let Jesus nudge us towards other people when what we want to do is we want to nudge us towards ourselves. And the third big idea is this, to deposit your worries in a box called tomorrow. What do I mean by that? So here's the verse from the Bible. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I want you to almost imagine like a, like, a, like, like a literal box where you're thinking about something and you're thinking, I can't get my head around that right now and that's starting to drive me, so I'm gonna put it into tomorrow. I'm gonna think about it tomorrow because when tomorrow comes, then tomorrow is today. And what Jesus is saying, he's not saying don't think about the future. He's not saying don't think about stuff. He's saying don't let it drive you. Don't let it be like a, a, a boss of you. Don't let it drive you in your emotional responses and your reactions. Because actually what God promises is that he will give us what we need when we need it. And what we do is that we take back control and we say, no, 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 I don't trust you with that, God. So I'm gonna think about it and I'm gonna agonize over it and I'm gonna worry about it myself. And God says, why do you do that? If you just deposit that in a box called tomorrow, then when tomorrow comes, tomorrow is today and I've promised I'll meet you with what you need today. And so when Alison and myself, with our situation with Simeon, and it's still probably our biggest challenge in terms of the future, when we were first told that he will always live with us or, or, or live in, you know, he'll never live, live, live um, independently because of his, his, his needs and his physical and uh, emotional and uh, mental needs, um, you know, we thought, like, what about tomorrow? What about the future? You know, and that was like 23 years ago. Well, 23 years later, you know, God has given us what we need for the day. But if we were 23 years ago, when we were thinking about how we're going to cope in the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 15 years, the next 20 years, we wouldn't have been able to do that. It would have become the boss of us, and it has become the boss of us, and it's driven us. So what we have to do is to say, hey, Jesus, we've got to put that, we've got to deposit that in a box called tomorrow, because that's where you promise that when tomorrow becomes today, you will give us the strength that we need for the day. So, hurry and worry. And I love this phrase, this, this thing I heard many years ago. Mary Crowley, she said, every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. And I don't know whether you know that um, the sun, well you do know, the sun comes up every single day. It travels at 1.6 million miles a day. The entire solar system, including the earth, 370 miles per second, 32 mile, million miles per day, and you have nothing to do with any of it. You know that, don't you? Like all the intricacies of the universe happens every single day and you and I have nothing to do with it. So if that can happen, why can't we trust God with the things that are in our life? One final thing I wanna say in this series before we, we land. Emotions like guilt, envy, fear, anger, hurry, worry, these things become like snapping dogs on the inside of us, do you know what I mean? But God has two big dogs of his own. Did you know that? 
And we're going to land and finish with this. And this, this verse here in Psalm 23, I'm skipping over a bit, so run with me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. These are God's two big sheepdogs, goodness and mercy. And the Bible says in Psalm 23, surely, and that literally that word surely means not possibly, not maybe, but surely, certainly, beyond the shadow of a doubt. Listen, those emotions that snap at you like little terriers, the guilt and the envy and the fear and the hurry and the worry, I've got these two big sheepdogs that are coming after you. And they're coming after you to love you and to herd you and to help you and to lead you and to guide you. And they're called goodness and mercy. And I want to land with this because I think it's so important that we understand that how we let emotions can be controlled. This isn't just all about psycho babble stuff. This isn't all about us kind of thinking things through. This is about saying, God, I want to trust you. And God invites us to follow him. But he says, but as you follow me, you need to know I've got dogs that are following you. And they're called goodness and mercy. And they're going to follow you. They're going to pursue you. The, Bible, the word literally means pursue. It's almost like they're going to stalk you. They're going to come after you, goodness and mercy, all the days of your life. And that word goodness, you know, we say things like, oh, the steak is good and the movie is good. And, you know, but the goodness of God, goodness is, it's about the quality of who he is all the time, not just the things that he does. And we get this, this, this amazing verse that, that, that we know, many of us in Romans 8, and the one that people say to you when you're in the middle of tough times and you want to punch them, okay? And I know you do. Some of you may have done. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We totally misunderstand and misuse this verse. And, and whenever someone's going through tough time, never, ever say that verse to them. Never. Because a little bit technical for a moment, okay? In the original Greek language, two tenses called, there's called a priori and a posteriori. A priori is before the fact. A posteriori is after the fact looking back. This is a posteriori. That's how it's written. In other words, you cannot make sense of this now. You can only make sense of it in the future looking back. And many of you in this room, you know that when you look back, you can see that God took some things in your life that weren't good. And because his sheep does, goodness and mercy pursued you. They took those things that weren't good and they turned them into good for your sake. But you only know that in the future looking back. And it says the message version of it. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. So all I can do when I'm in the middle of a tough situation, say, hey God, I know you're at work here. I can't see it and I won't see it yet. But goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so I'm not gonna let emotions be the boss of me. I'm not gonna let guilt be the boss of me. I'm not gonna, and here's the thing, goodness comes, but mercy comes. So I'm not gonna let guilt be the boss of me because mercy is mine. That's great. Mercy means that I'm given what I don't deserve. So I don't have to carry the weight of guilt because I'm given the grace. And I'm not gonna let envy be the boss of me because I get mercy, which means I'm not gonna look at theirs because look at the goodness that you put in my life. And I'm not, not gonna let anger be the boss of me. I'm not gonna let fear or hurry or worry because I've got goodness and mercy all the days of my life. Isn't that brilliant? All the days of my life. Anyone excited? It's just amazing. And so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And you know, all the days of my life. That's not just some days, guys. That's every day. Every day. 
So you're at home right now and you're struggling with the toddler or you're tearing your hair out with the teenager. And God says, hey, you, you know, I've got goodness and mercy for you all the days of your life. Or, or you're struggling in that dead end job or you're out of work or you're frustrated or you're overwhelmed by work and you're in that workplace and God says, I've got goodness and mercy and they're coming after you all the days of your life. Or you're facing that health situation and you don't know what's gonna happen at the end and God says, but I've got goodness and mercy and it's following you and pursuing you all the days of your life. So who really is the boss of you right now? Right now in this moment, who really is the boss of you? And I wanna finish this series and we're gonna have a little bit of response time and engage time in the room as well. But I wanna finish this by giving a very, very clear invitation to all of you this morning. If you have never accepted Jesus as the boss of you, as the Lord of you, as your master. I don't mean, do you believe in him? I mean that if you've never surrendered your life to him and said, Jesus, I want to invite you to be the Lord and the leader of my life. What an amazing opportunity to do it right at the end of this series, the start of this year. So I want to ask us just to close our eyes for a moment. I don't know who you all are but Jesus does. And if this morning you want to say, God, I want you to be the boss of me. I don't want to be driven by myself. I don't want to be driven by my emotions. God, I want to turn my life over to you. Then this morning, I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him. Right where you are, if that's you, I'd love to pray for you. So if that is you, I'd love you just to slip up your hand. Thank you. There may be somebody else this morning. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you at the back. Jesus, thank you so much. You're such an incredible God. And God, for these people that have responded to you right now, God, goodness and mercy is following them. Going to follow them all the days of their life. They'll dwell in your house forever. That's incredible. And God, I want to pray that they would know your nearness and your closeness in their lives in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And now, guys, as we finish, I'm going to give you an opportunity, all of you, to respond this morning as well. And there's three different ways or four different ways we can do that. We're going to sing together. You can respond as you sing. I'm going to invite you to do that. But then there's also communion. There's communion here. So if the hosting team could come out now, please, that would be great. Somebody come down to the front, help me out. Um, and there's also communion at the, at the middle there as well. So there's communion down here. There's communion in the middle. Maybe some of you would like prayer this morning. Maybe this has stirred up something for you. Come down to this part here. There's some people that would love to pray for you. But there's another way that you can engage as well. Right in the back corner, there's a cross. And there's some heart-shaped sticky notes. And maybe this morning, you want to just seal something by saying, this is the emotion that's been the boss of me. And I'm turning it over to Jesus now. So I want you to go write that emotion and stick it on the cross. It's just a symbolic way of you saying, hey, I'm going to write this fear down. I'm going to nail this anger. And I'm going to say, no, this is not going to be the boss of me anymore. I'm going to, it's nailed to the cross because of what Jesus has done. And I'm going to put it on the cross to remind myself as well. So I want to invite you to stand. And as we stand, we're going to sing a song that we've been singing a little bit recently. And we've been singing it because of the end bit, because of the fight in the battles bit. But I want you to think not so much about that. 
but the front bit of the song, where, where, where the song talks about, you laid a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And as we begin to sing, I want to invite you to respond to Him, okay? And this space is your space, okay? We're not kind of, you know, telling you what to do in that sense. We're giving you some opportunities. So if you want to come and take communion, thank God again, you know, and re, re, maybe re-emphasize again in your own life that actually this, what He's done, Jesus is now the boss of you. Then you do that. If you want prayer, come and receive prayer. If you want to go and put something on the cross, do that. Or just stand where you are and just worship Him however you want to do that. So Father, we thank you for this space that you've given us. God, we're all, we all live such horrid lives, don't we? But God, just the opportunity to slow down a bit, to simplify, just to be still maybe, or just to engage a little bit with you for a few moments. God, is such a precious gift. So God, I thank you for every person here in this room. And Lord, would you, would you be at work in these moments, I pray. God, I pray this won't just be going through the motion, but that we'll do some business with you today. As we worship you, as we engage, as we interact, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you encounter us? Would you speak into our hearts and into our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. So as we begin to sing, if you want to respond to any of those things, any of those ways, then please, you go ahead and do that as we sing.